Bud's, the thing about Bud, Bud Smith, the, the writer Bud Smith, is how this podcast came about is actually pretty indicative of what he's all about. Like, I just hollered at him. I had an idea to do the pod about uh, that Faulkner book, As I Lay Dying, because I noticed he'd been reading it. And I, I happened to be reading it also. So when I finished it, I just hollered at him and proposed the idea. And fucking, he was down. He was super chill about it. Just like, that sounds like fun. You know, pull up. So I pulled up and we, and we got down. We talked about it. Um, and that's kind of how his whole shit is. It's like, bro, your art, your art, your, your art, all this shit, it's not, you're, you're, it's not important, bro. It's not everything. This, you know, it's like, we're all, there's so many people out here in the world, all working, all struggling. How are you gonna act like your shit is that important, bro? It's not important. Um, but that sounds negative, and it's not really negative, it's just how it is. Because once you, once you realize that it's not important, you know, stop being so precious with it. Stop trying to fucking, you know, get all constipated trying to poop out that, that that diamond nugget you know just go in just go in just have cause, cause once you realize that it ain't important and that there's way more aspects of life that we gotta focus on like grinding friends being a, a good you know a good whatever uh just a friendly person, a positive person, sending out good energy to people. That's all primary. But then once you got all that, yo, what else we got? We got art. You could go in your, you could, that's, a, that's an added bonus. You know? Find the time, pick your spots. Then it's not like this heavy, serious thing you feel like you got to do in order to whatever, all kinds of wild ideas people be having about how important art is and all this shit. Once you renounce that, then it's like you got this added bonus that can that can uh, nourish and strengthen all your relationships, your work, that daily grind. Because it's still a grind, bro. It's not like, you know, not, in his book Work, he's like, everything's like, you know, so sick about working at a at an oil refinery all the time. It's not necessarily like that, but um, it's like, just have, you know, like, uh, it's very, 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 just a very encouraging outlook, um, but, uh, Bud Smith has in terms of his art, and as I learned last weekend, and how he, uh, responds to, to people just trying to, trying to, trying to go in on some, uh, shit for the, for its own sake, that's what this combo is, just, let's fucking powwow, let's see what's good, let's, let's kick it. Um, so I was pretty, pretty fucking, pretty stoked about that. Um, his, his newest, so we talk about it as I lay dying and, uh, his novel work the most, um, or the work is more like, uh, it's more like, uh, maybe non, non, more auto-fiction-y, but, um, but yeah, he's got mad stories online. He got a, a few story collections, uh, Double Bird. Uh, calm face um, got a couple earlier novels I've always been grinding since I think like 2012 putting out books F250 Tollbooth our other novels and the newest novel 
isn't out yet. I think you could pre-order it. It's a teenager uh, coming from New York. Fucking tyrant, which is related cause to the last podcast I did, because I was about Cherry and uh, um, the head of New York tyrant, uh, Gion. I feel like I, I don't even know. I just, I just know this dude's name because he just keeps. He's the editor of like so many books I fuck with. Um, he he he's the one who started kind of sending uh, Nico Walker, the author of Cherry books and whatnot. Um, I'm pretty pretty sure. Um, so, uh, but but Bud's working on his new book, uh, Teenager. It's set to drop, I think, early next year. Um, with that same dude. So fucking shit, dude. It was a lit convo. Uh, I think. Actually, you know. Um, I'm like, a couple years ago, you know, we we didn't know any taxes. We actually got a little refund. Um, I was like, oh, what, you know, to her, what kind yeah. of, kind of uh, front you want a piece of furniture or something? And she was like, nah, why don't you buy a couple bookcases and nice. like, fill them up. Fill them up, baby. Have like a little library in this yeah. place. So I just bought all the books I want to read, you know, for like the next... Oh, Barry Hannah. I'm reading some Barry Hannah right now, too. What are you reading? On show. I'm reading Airships. Airships is great. Bro, I'm like, yeah. I'm not that far into it, but it's one of those things that kept coming up everywhere. Yeah. You know, I kept seeing it everywhere, and I was like, how am I not ready? Yeah, this? man. Two of my friends studied with him at all Miss. At Old Miss. Oh, amazing. Yeah, Michael Bibles, my one friend, he, he was in his uh, study with him there, and my other friend, Jimmy Cajola, is they both, oh, okay. both had him as a teacher. Amazing. So it's great, man. I just like... I asked those guys, well, what, was it, what was he like? Yeah. And, you know, because he wrote yeah. one of my favorite novels, you know. Can I put this down? Can I yeah. just get this thing going? Sure, yeah. I got a bundle, man. It's like fall now, but yeah. sweating balls over here. Yeah, whatever you got to do. It's funny. I, I first heard, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to just talk to you like a, make an interesting conversation and not just yeah. tell you how much I fuck with your writing, but um when I first heard a podcast with you, it was a few years ago, it was an other people podcast. Yeah. And you were talking about all that stuff about just being at work and writing on your phone, editing oh. your phone, emailing to yourself. And I feel like that's, I don't know if I did that unselfconsciously, but that's just my mode of all writing now. I always just yeah. email stuff to myself. But then it was interesting, like reiterating at the end, at the end push of work. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. That doesn't seem like a thing. You, you have people that you, you started doing that from? I mean, I, I guess it's an obvious thing. It's just using technology, good, but I don't know. When did you just start doing that naturally? I said, fuck, I'm asking annoying podcasty questions. No, no, not at all. So what happened was I was, uh, I just started that because uh, I had written, I had written like three or four novels at that point. Like, you know, yeah. just sit down at the computer and like, just sit there for like, it was my early 20s, you know? Yeah. I could just sit there and drink beer and get drunk and and just just pound away at the thing and like um, you know I had I had time I didn't have maybe I didn't I had girlfriends at the time but yeah. it wasn't like you know early twenties it's not like serious spend time with people or yeah. whatever so there's time you know I was living in my parents' house still and I and I had all the time just to like kind of fuck around you know yeah so that was cool you know and just really kind of figuring out how how I want to write sentences, how I want to tell stories. And then it just got to a certain point where I felt comfortable enough that I was like, all right, 
the, no- the novels I had written, uh, I didn't really care if they went anywhere. I knew they weren't good enough to try to like get published, really. Yeah. It just kind of snowballed more and more where I finally, right around the time I was, I turned to 30, I just figured, well, all right, now I'm just more and more into this, and now I'm going to start figuring out some kind of a, a discipline that's right. not going to suck the life out of it. So I right. thought, I thought, well, why don't I just set myself, set myself uh, a little schedule of how I can write this next novel. So that was a novel, F-250, I really started doing that with. Yeah. I just said, well, how much can I, how much can I do a day? Uh, and I think sometimes, sometimes it's kind of silly the way people are like, you know, talking about their word count and stuff, which none of that matters because, you know, your word count, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Because you know, you're going to edit the thing 50 right. times before it comes out. It doesn't matter how, how many words you're doing a day. So I I always thought that was kind of dumb, like, to worry about, oh, I really wrote 5,000 words. Oh, today. like counting per day? Yeah, or yeah, I wrote 3,000 yeah, yeah. today and it keeping does. a tally. I was never that kind of person. I thought of it more as, like, I knew I would go to work in my mind with a scene I was going to write and I knew I could I could sneak time on my right. coffee break and right. my lunch break because I have a job in an oil refinery right so I knew I knew I had that uh, I had that hour that hour of time at least yeah. where I could just you know work work on the thing and uh, by necessity with the working it right on my cell phone was great too because it eliminated the urge to make things perfect the first time through right I'm just making this thing, yeah. you know, and sometimes it's just sloppy and silly, but I was just getting the ideas out, and I would pretty much just stick to that. Like I would have, I have a little scene I was going to write, so I would, I would, I got into the habit of once I once I started rolling with, with that project F250, I would take an index card and I would I would, I would write, you know, a few little bullet points of right. the scene I was going to try to write that day at my job, yeah, and I would keep it in my pocket, yeah, you know, and I would just try to get through it, so. And I actually have, hold on one second, I'll bring it here. Sweet. I have the cards I used when I made it. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so, you know, when I was, oh, making, when I was making F-250, I would just, there's these, you know, these index cards for, for what the book was. Yeah. And you can see on each one, it would just be like, I got them upside down. You're like, I don't know. Uh, just says, Wally and Denise arrive at the lake house party. She's pregnant. She's only slept with two people in the past six months, Seth and Joe. I don't really know what these bullet points mean now, but when I was yeah. when I was in the project, uh, I, I knew exactly where I was and what all this meant. And you look at the top, there's two marks. There's a red mark and a blue mark. Oh, yeah. Those marks were, as I was going through the project, and I knew I, knew I wanted to write, um, let's say, Arbitrarily, like thirty scenes. This book had thirty scenes. Right. You know? Arbitrarily, as I was go through it, and I, and I had these cards. Sometimes I would be like, I would figure out the scene for the next day or the right. day after that. So I might only a little be, ahead. I might only be a little ahead. Right. I never had the whole thing right. outlined because I like the energy of right. of making it as you go. Yeah. But as I was writing those scenes and I got them down, I would put a, on the top. You see a red mark. So that means that you one hit was it. done. Cool. That one was done. So then it went in the pile of the finished ones. And I'll keep marching through. And then you'll see there's a blue mark. Because when I went back through the project again, uh, I pretty much spent 45 days writing what would be like a first draft, right? Right. And then when I went through it again, I spent another 45 days of just writing uh, new scenes in between. Just to fill it out. Just things I felt as, as I reread the yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need something here. I need something there. And then, so I would do that. But the blue mark is that I, I got through this. 
a second time. Maybe right. I corrected. Oh, okay. I went through all these scenes again and corrected things that were mistakes. You gotta go through it multiple times. That's that's kind of where I'm at right now. I think I think that the e- the emailing to yourself thing did for me was I started to the way I edited it was just to email it to like a group of like friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More like. My closest friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll email him the first draft. I might just change a couple things because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I more and more outer friends. Uh-huh. And I don't know, just that idea of email, even email to myself. You wake up and then I see the email from myself of the other email yeah. of the days writing, and I, I, the way you edit it when you look at a, te- a text in your inbox, uh-huh. it feels more like a like you could just see what's wrong with it way faster. Whereas, whereas yeah. if you print it out and you're kind of, or not print it out, but just kind of think of it, maybe go to your word document and you yeah. get all attached to that feeling you had when you wrote it. Oh, that's been really, that's been really helpful for me. Cause I feel yeah. like my stuff is so much more paired. Like, I don't know, since doing that, everything's it's way more obvious. What is important or not? Yeah. Like a lot of times it's just getting away from what, uh, first it's like dumping, like writing something in a word document for me is always like, you know, I gotta get away from just looking at it at the word document because uh, the word document seems just too clean and and everything looks it looks like it's closer to being done than it is. Once I right. print it out or right, it's out in the world. It's out in the world. That's, yeah, bit. yeah, it's that's the thing. I feel like my my, no, my edits would be all arbitrary before. Uh-huh. I just be moving words around like oh, it's yeah. made it. But now it's like or another thing I've been doing. Sorry, it's a quick ramble, but I've been doing. Uh, I was living in Philly last year and I was trying to do like uh, bike delivery stuff, but I was pretty broke. But yeah. then I moved here and my, I kind of started doing this type of like set building stuff I mentioned. Um, but I've been trying to look at my read, think of reading my writing aloud to coworkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then think if I would feel like a fuck if I did or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like a really good, and even a couple, one of my homies, I just been sending him little 1,000 word hitters. Yeah, yeah. And he's been like, oh no, it's like, that's a, that's a good way to write, you know? It is a good way to write. Yeah, it's like <laughs> just getting yourself on the hook a lot of times because, I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's great to, uh, you know, make, make your art on your own little island, but for me, I, I've always been better when I've kind of gotten myself on the hook, you know? Yeah. That's why, Doing the good luck, the good luck project, the good luck novel, how how we've done it week by week, um, posting it serialized as it's going. You're just on the hook, you know. Yeah. You have, it's getting made. There's you got someone you're accountable to. You want to send it to. Yeah, you know, and no, nobody made me accountable. Right. Nobody ever has, has ever made me accountable for anything creative. I just like to do it to myself. Yeah. Because I want to, I, I want to do this stuff more than anything in my life. I, yeah. I, I want to make art to make art. And I really love, I really love getting myself on the hook with something, and like even this today, doing this today, it's Bro, so great. I know? mean, something, something to look forward to. You know? Honestly, the way you got back to me about that email was, it felt like an indication of what your whole outlook is about, too. <laughs> I don't know, that's really cool though. It's just like, let's go. Yeah, let's um, do it. I want to. Yeah, damn. I yeah. How, where, how you feeling? You want to talk about that? The as they lay dying a little bit. I, I wanted to. I had just a couple. Uh, I don't know if this is good to do. I just had a couple bars from work that felt like encapsulated what you're saying. But I guess you just saying it to me now, so maybe it's not. Well, what are you? What are you, what are you saying about work? What's? What, what are you thinking? Well, there's just a couple. There's just a couple. Um, I guess if it's a podcast and. I don't know. It could be, uh, there's a couple, I feel like there's a couple times where you had some really, um, um, lines that just totally said, uh, kind of what you're saying or kind of what I felt like was, I feel like the stuff that you're on was kind of like a, 
intense anti-self-importance. Yeah. But then, and also anti-importance of this whole idea of art. Yeah. But then in that process, by renouncing that, then because it doesn't matter, you could kind of go in way more freely and yeah. be way more indiscriminate about how you go in and then actually probably make more interesting art. Like it's a little... You know what I'm saying? Yeah, maybe it's the snake that eats itself a little bit. It's the snake that eats itself. What I, what I think, what I think about art is, uh, it's never for me. It's never like end product. I'm never, I'm never thinking like final. I'm, I, I'm never thinking like, oh, I can't wait for this book to come out. Right. You know, I can't wait for this. You know, to be able to do an interview or a podcast about this book, I'm always just really so excited to get back to projects I'm working on and like just makes me feel so good to just be making something. I feel like. Life sometimes feels a little bit, you know, especially when you have day jobs or, you know, you have bills to pay and it's great to have this, this thing, this thing that to kind of go into where, where none of that matters for a while. Yeah. And, and to be a kid, stay a kid forever in, the, in that way, you're still playing in the sandbox and, and having a good time. And art, art's great for that. I don't, usually I think a lot of my writing is about joy, which I think a lot of people uh, don't really don't really like focus too much on that kind of stuff it's it's more I find most most, most art I consume is uh, has a little bit more to do with troubles and, and pain um, I, I haven't really gotten I haven't really gotten there yet in my own work too much oh you know as I get older, about that yeah as I get a little older I'm sure, I'm sure you know I'm sure I'll, I'll get into that a little more I haven't had any like real big real big changes to my to my life, like no one's really died yet in my family too much. Uh, you you so. transition perfectly right now. Well, just to just to add, just to say about, I do you like your work. I, I I'm LOLing in the margins like more than most reader. You know, it's really funny. It's really funny. But then yeah. every now and then you got some dark. I don't know because it's almost like the reason why you know none of this matters is because. Um, um, you know, like, you said something like, uh, you know, I think, I might be conflating a few quotes, but maybe, I think it was after you got married, and then you're like all stoked you got married, and then you go in the street, and you see everyone just doing their stuff, and it's like, they don't care about what you're going through, yeah. you know, and it's like, you're yeah. like, um, you know, we're going to be in a coffin, um, we're going to be in a coffin soon, and the one thing about a coffin is like, you can't move your arms that much, so you can't make art that good, like, in the coffin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like. Oh yeah, it's right here. Uh, between working a full-time job and all the other things that living a life means, it feels easy to put the act of making some art on the back burner. But hey, blink your eyes and you're going to be dead and sitting in a coffin down on the ground. And you're, you'll still be thinking about that idea you have for a novel. Only problem is you can't move your arms now because the coffin is so small. So we got, I don't know, like, but then it, but then it was with that, with the As I Lay Dying, it's like, uh, I guess I just ask you, what what motivated you to to dive into it and then um yeah i guess that was where it would kind of lead to because i feel like in a way for for me faulkner this book was kind of like about a bunch of people dealing with like the trauma of like their mom dying or some people or a lot of faulkner i only read yeah a couple of them but but well yeah i guess i'll just ask you but it yeah, I'll ask you let you talk. Oh, okay. let, me go, let me go get let me go get my uh, okay, dope. Let me get my copy of the book.
But it's funny that you brought that up about uh, writing about difficult things. Because one thing when I read your book, what you're writing is it's so funny and it's so light that when I feel like I'm going into like the whole idea of going into like dark stuff to be able to sort through it. I don't know. When I read your stuff, I feel like a, I feel like a douche for doing that. Like I'm putting through the like trying to put my stuff out there in like a dark way. But it's interesting that you said you, you were thinking about doing going into that at some point. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I, I was, I've never like purposely decided, okay, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna write it, I'm gonna write this certain way, I'm gonna write about this certain topic and this, right. from this point of view, but mostly I just try to, I just try to represent how, how, how my mind is working now, nowadays at, at that age. Right. And, you know, some of my, some of my, my earlier stuff, I, I just think it's, it was hard for me to, think in terms of like loss and sadness just because right. I, ha- I haven't really I haven't really experienced too much of that yet but it, it's it's coming I mean you're you're alive long enough and that's, yeah. that stuff touches you and and more and more you change as a person and I think it's it's important to to capture the feeling of youth when you're young totally you know I think a lot of times <laughs> I'll, I'll read a book written by someone who's 20 yeah who, who is really impressed by a book written in uh Late 1800s, right. a master, somebody who was 60 years old or so when it was published, and they want to emulate that. His mom just died. He on his deathbed, and he, he writing yeah. about that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've always just wanted to ca- I've, I've wanted to capture the feeling of the years that, that I'm living through and living in. Yeah. And I think I've I think I can say I've I've definitely done that. Uh, if I've done nothing else, I've captured how I've how I felt. Almost a never kept a diary or a journal. And um, I think my books just capture the energy of the years. Totally. But you're saying that 20-year-old trying to write about all the heavy stuff that the guy is trying to emulate. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard It's hard for me to... Um, certainly, I can imagine those things, but yeah, I feel like as I, as I get older, it's easier for me to touch on uh, darkness, sadness, loss. It, yeah. It's easier for me to, when I was younger, to write about what want needing things, not being able to achieve things you wanted. As I've gotten older, you know, you just stick around long enough and you get enough life experiences and you can figure out little ways to get the things you need or want. Right. And it's not always money, it's emotional. But as like a kid, as like a kid when I was just first beginning to write, I had no emotional maturity. I didn't know particularly how relationships really worked. Right. You know? And it was only after really getting, getting, growing growing yeah. with somebody, learning how relationship work work and how like listening to people enough right. through the years you just you collect experience right. about what like society really is and right. and uh, yeah I think it's just it snowballs, you know? Totally. And and, 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 hof- and hopefully until I'm sixty my writing will keep improving. Yeah. And then I know what happens, you know, your brain you start to lose you start to lose it, you know, you lose your, <laughs> you lose your touch around that age and then yeah. And it'll, it'll start to go away, and hopefully by the time I'm 90, I'll be writing uh, like a little kid again or something. Yeah, right. Whatever it is, you have this arc to your life. And but you're thinking about that stuff a little bit. Yeah, I'm just, I'm here. I'm, I'm in it. Yeah. You know, I'm out here in it. I think a lot of writers I admire are always the people who are out there. Yeah. Out there in it, and they're, yeah. they're alive, and they're, 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 up, they're up against their own problems and their own demons, and... Uh, and, and they're trying to get through it, but uh, but I think part of the reason why you don't dwelling on all that dark stuff is, or whatever, or all the, um, all kinds of stuff, and you're dealing more like the necessities of what you need and stuff is because you're out here working, 
I don't know. I feel like a lot of people or a lot of people trying to write, try to get a path where they could kind of like get money from people, teach here, or kind of just like, and then not dealing with the day-to-day stuff. Like last year, I, I was all, I got, all, I got all kind of fucked up. I was not able to work that much. And then um, I was trying to isolate myself and, and, and not, and just so I could write all the time. Yeah. But then since I've been moving to New York and working so much, People are like, "How are you doing?" You know, like, and I'm like, "I, I don't even have time. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not good, but I'm not like bad because I'm. I don't have time to like dwell on yeah. how bad I am. Yeah, I'm just yeah. like working. I'll ride on the subway on the way to work or something, and then go in, and then I don't know. Like that's not that's a unique uh, outlook for. It's writers, all it is. It's just now. Like. It's just now. Look, I've decided. I've decided that. Um, you know, I'm lucky. I'm privileged enough. I, I can I can work for a living. I can go to work. I, I'm not disabled in any way. And, yeah. And uh, I, I don't have any debt because I didn't go to college. And uh, I have health insurance through my job. You know, uh, I'm not really. There's no there's no big struggles to things, but I'm also not making any struggles for myself. Yeah. You know, I just wanna I wanna have a good time. I yeah. wanna I wanna have a good time with my wife and my friends. And uh, as I've gotten older, my friends are just getting more and more important to me. I make time to see them every week. That's a thing you're talking about a lot too, which is important too. I feel like I'm trying to get out of that isolation mode. Type. Yeah, you can make trying you to know, reach out to people more. And the, the thing about making art is you're gonna be alive a long time. And if you're not alive a long time, you're not even gonna notice. Yeah. You're dead anyway. <laughs> but you gotta you gotta pretend like you're gonna be around for a long, long time, and, and you're at the start of a long, a long journey. And you may feel really, really hungry. To have a book out, and right? Have, and right. Have people say, "Oh, right. I read your book." Well, I don't think that that really matters. What matters is that you make to make, and you, and you feel good about sitting down and making something. Because if, if if you start at the basics of that, you're just gonna, you're going to have a better time making your art, and it'll be more true to who you really are. Uh, but but it takes a long time. Yeah, for sure. It takes a long time, and you might you might feel like five years is is too long for your book. Uh, it might take you ten years. It right. doesn't. It doesn't really. It doesn't really matter when the thing comes out or whatever comes out. It's way better when you're in a mode of being inspired and, and, and writing stuff. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with write, like writing a novel, especially, is um, if you just get if you get in the mode of. It doesn't matter if you fuck it up. Go like, for instance, like I, I have a thing where I where I like to was as I'm writing a novel, I'll think about it in like. Let's just arbitrarily like a forty-five day chunk, right? Yeah. I'll write a draft through it forty-five days. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not like totally hammering all the na- all the nails aren't hammered totally no. down. They're up a little bit, so you can pry yeah. them up and take yeah. pieces out, throw oh, them yeah. away. Oh yeah. And as I get to the end of the project, what I love to do, what I have to do, is I have to reread. I have to reread what I made. Right. You know, I have a stop point. You right. Know? I have to reread what I made, and I like to do, give myself little notes on what's there. Yeah. Just so I can know for sure what I'm even working on, you know. Yeah. Is then go back through it again for another 45 days, and just like the multiple passes through it, but giving myself a um, giving myself a, a small little deadline. Yeah. Getting yourself again on that hook. And just to Getting through it is important. We got two connections. We were talking about how we got a long life and we're gradually dying. That's as I like dying, and then you talking about. Riding those forty-five day chunks, and that's also like what uh, what this dude. Did. Yeah, well, all Bill tried yeah. to do right. All Bill just banged this out. Yeah, he, well, Same you know, it's one of those things where you know, you're, on the back of the copy of the book, 
that I had. It, yeah. says, it says he wrote it in six weeks while I was working at a power plant. Exactly. So I read this. I think I read it when I was about 16 years old, but uh, I have such a bad memory that a lot of yeah. times I'll read a book and I'll just totally forget what yeah. happens. Yeah. Or like I must have read a little bit of it and quit because as I was reading, re- re- I thought I was rereading this. I was just I got about you got to a point. I got to like 30 pages in. I'm like I must not have read any farther. That happened to me with kid, yeah. this and and then Sad and the Fury too. I had a couple Faulkner books and I I probably read the 50 first 50 pages. Yeah, and you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah, for but, sure. You know the thing the thing with the <laughs> The claim, Faulkner's claim that he wrote it in six weeks, uh, and no word, it says no word was changed, yeah. he's a genius. This is ad copy on the back. This is, right. this is, this is, I don't, I don't believe this. That's a wild flex. That's a random this, flex. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, is, this reminds me exactly of um, the the mythos behind uh, Jack Kerouac's totally. On the Road. Totally. Where he wrote it in five weeks, right. and, and he wrote it on a big scroll, and he yeah. did speed, and he didn't yeah. sleep, and he had a, I don't know, was he wearing a diaper? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he on a, a, did he have a tinfoil hat? He was on an Addy Bender, Adderall Bender, yeah. just pooping in a bucket. Yeah, but then but then when, when you get into like looking into the Faulkner claim, it's right. like, well, yeah, he wrote the the first draft right. in five weeks, right. and then he edited it for seven years. Or right, whatever, right, so. right. But that's, like, that's what sold. That's what right. sold to the public, and that's why a lot of writers feel like, Oh, Faulkner's a genius, or I mean, debatably maybe he is. Uh, yeah. Kerouac is a genius, debatably maybe he is. But uh, this whole thing, written in five weeks, that's just something sold. To yeah, you. that's yeah. just something. So, so people buy the book. Oh, this guy's a fucking genius. It's part of the yeah. It's a package of it's the a package. commodity. Yeah, you yeah. Get, you're getting sold that. So now yeah. when I read, I was reading uh, this this at work. And uh, I was reading it on night shift at an oil refinery, and uh, the guys I work with—they're not readers, but they're always interested in what I'm reading. Yeah. You know, they always come over. And, oh, what's that about? Yeah. So I was—I I showed one of the guys the back of the book. I said, "Oh, check it out." Here. Yeah. I was like, "It's about this family in Mississippi bringing their dead mother, blah blah blah." Yeah. And, and then I showed him the part written in six weeks while Faulkner was working at a power plant. Yeah. And the guy was just like, looked at me like so unimpressed. I'm like. No, that's great. You know, you yeah. understand. You wrote this book at a like night shift, just like you at a yeah. power plant. Just isn't that cool? Yeah. And the guy was like, well, "What was he? An operator at yeah. like a steam plant? <laughs> I guess I don't know. Yeah, he was like an operator. So he yeah. he turned the valves and kept the right. units running. Right. And the guy was like, "Well, you know, all that is is just steam and just sitting there. There isn't much to do." And I was like, "Yeah, you're right, but I mean." Hey, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I thought you would think it was cool. He's not giving like, nah. a fuck. He's just like, nah. nah if, I, if I was working, uh, you know, I could. You, those yeah. operators can do anything. It's a weak ass plant. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. So they were not impressed. Not so impressed. everybody else is impressed except the the guys. The people who actually, actually work in it. it. Yeah, they're like, this is fucking fuck that. Who cares? Fuck this guy. Oh man, that's too funny. Yeah. So I mean. Um, you know, so so that whole thing he, he wrote it. He wrote it at a power plant. That's great. Faulkner was was this guy. He always he always had these random jobs, and yeah. um, I thought I, I got. Um, I'll tell you. I'll tell you how I got. Sure. I kind of fell into reading as I lay dying yeah. again. So I was on the um, I was on the kick. I got laid off uh, in June. Well, more more like mid May. I got laid off from my job, okay. and I knew I was going to have at least a month off. And I was. Uh, so I had some time, and uh, I was reading some different books, and I got it in my mind that I was going to read uh, Ulysses, James Joyce okay. Ulysses, and it's um, I think it's it's eight, eighteen chapters, about fifty pages a chapter, give or take. Right. And so I thought I had heard some of my friends had read it, um, a book club that met once a week gotcha. for eighteen weeks, and that's yeah. how they did it. And, 
And I was like, I think I'll do that. So yeah. what I did was I read, I read Ulysses that way, and while every week I'd read a, the fifty-page chapter, but then it freed me up. I could read some other book. Right. So I had a whole list, a whole list, list of other books. Cycling, yeah. Going through. So I was reading like, I'd read like the first chapter of Ulysses, and then I got into reading some Hamlet. I mean, like I read Hamlet, Macbeth. And uh, once I once I read Macbeth, it kind of steered me towards like, oh, the Sound and the Fury. You know? Right. So I read the Sound and the Fury. Okay, was, you did. Cool. Yeah, I just I was, read that recently. Yeah, too. and I was like, man, this is like great, you know. <laughs> and I thought like a lot of people talk shit about that book, how it's so hard to understand. Right. But while I was reading Ulysses, reading the Sound and the Fury, it was like, oh, this is like, yeah, this is so simple. Yeah. Ulysses is yeah. just. You know, he did some cokehead fucking <laughs> with you the whole time. Right, you keep changing what he's doing. Yeah. At least, Sound of Fury, he stays with it. Yeah, he, he stays, stays with it. He's he, doing he, that thing, though, kind of, isn't he? He's doing that thing a little in the, in the beginning. Like, right. it starts off with Benji, right. who's, like, mentally disabled. And yeah. it's like, time is, like, fucked in the beginning right, of the Right, exactly. So, Benji has no anchoring in time, so he's... You gotta keep seeing the notes of a uh, uh, thing of, like, the, the by the golf course again. He, he gives a little thing yeah. to kind of tell you where they yeah. are, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, exactly. And like re reading that first chapter of The Sound of the Fury, you're kind of you're lost in this sea of time and memory. Yeah. And you know, you don't really you don't have a total anchor, but uh, maybe in 1925 or whenever right. Sound of the Fury was written, maybe that was a total mindfuck. Totally. But my experience now with reading modern books like Mary Robinson, yeah, uh, even reading like Maggie Nelson, oh yeah, uh, just different things like that, where like reading contemporary. Especially like books that walk the line between modern poetry and like a novel. Yeah, the Sound of the Fury wasn't really that bad because I, right. I just kind of accepted the fact, and it's okay to not always understand know what's, what's happening. exactly what's happening, and like being patient enough to just figure. Eventually, uh, a writer like Faulkner is your friend. Totally, he's your friend. He might he might have you in the dark a little here and there, but he's really not. Yeah, he's not out to fuck you like yeah. like James Joyce <laughs> for sure, bro. For you know, sure. James Joyce, he doesn't give a fuck. He's yeah. Just, yeah, he's, he's just gonna fuck with you. Yeah. So I read, um, I read Macbeth. So I read after Macbeth, I read The Sound of the Fury, and then I was just because that's where the quote is. That's the connection. Yeah, right? yeah. The quote of the title. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So then I was kind of just on a like a little collision course through Ulysses, um, reading this and reading that, and all of a sudden um, I got an email from Gian, uh, New York Tyrant, Dope. who's been editing um, an old teenager. We've been going back and forth. Amazing. And he said, "Hey, what's what are you reading right now?" And I said, "Oh, I'm reading Ulysses, and uh, I'm reading um, I forget what the book of the week was." He was like, "Why don't you stop what you're doing? Okay, and read Madame Bovary." So I read. Oh, sick. So he had me read Madame Bovary, and uh, it was great, like amazing. And I was like so happy um, just to be assigned a book that like great. by you know, I love when people are just like, "Hey, let's read this together." Or, yeah. You should read this for like. Just like aesthetically, or like just something new that, totally. that maybe I've always been on this hunt. I didn't go to college for literature. I love. I've always loved it, and I love talking to my friends who have gotten their masters or you know doctorates or art professors, and just what what are like the great books that you teach? Right. And, and so I read, I read Madame Bovary, and um, and then um, I continued. I continued on my little hunt there, and a, a couple weeks later. I asked Gian, I got to a point with uh, my edits on working on Teenager, because every day I would, I would wake up and I would usually just, like I was going to work on the book, yeah. I, I would just wake up around 7, drive my wife to the train, come home, and work on my edits from 7 until 9 when I had like okay. a coffee break, yep. and then I would eat lunch at like noon, and then I would work on the book till at least 4 or 5, just yeah. editing, editing the hell out of the book. And I got to a point where I was like... I wanted I wanted to think I wanted to think about brutality 
I, I haven't read too many books that are just like relentless, unrelenting in their like brutality. So yeah. I asked, I asked Gian, I said, what are some books where someone might be beaten to death without any mercy? Yeah. Right. I don't have a whole, <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of experience reading books like that. I thought maybe he did. You know? And he said, well, hold on. So he, he texted Blake Butler and Blake Butler was like, you should read uh, two books. One was um, The Sluts by Dennis Cooper. Okay. And the other one was Child of God by Cormac McCarthy. Okay. So I read both these books. They're both great. Yeah. Right. And as soon as I was done reading, um, the Cormac McCarthy book, uh, I happened just to be, you know, in the mood that week to, to read some more Faulkner. So I read yeah. As I Lay Dying, and it was really great because you could see through time yeah. of how, how things carried on from As I Lay Dying. As right. I Lay Dying is, uh, let's see, 15 narrators, 59 short chapters. Yeah. And I gotta say, uh, Child of God is like much, is like, it's built in much the same way. Similar, interesting. Similar. Now it has this thing. With the narrators, the narrators in Child of God, uh, they don't lie to you. Just okay. like, just like as in uh, As a Late Dying, yeah. you're not you're not getting mind fucked right. with someone telling you a completely right. shaky, shaggy dog story, right. like undermining what's being told. Right. Pretty much, you can accept almost every narrator in uh, As a Late Dying as a rel- quote unquote reliable narrator, according to their what they're seeing. Yeah, yeah, you're, like, you're like getting almost like an eyewitness account. Right. Okay, you're not getting somebody who's just making some shit up to right. fuck with the right. narrative arc, right? Vardaman will spaz out a little bit, but that's because he'll he, spaz out. He, he's, he's, he's seven. A kid. Yeah. He's a kid. Yeah. He's just, you know, and his, his mom's his mom's a fish. His yeah, he's a fish now. Yeah. You know, so he's kind of like he, he's not fucking with you. He's just like yeah. that. That's how his his consciousness is totally expressing itself. Yeah. So you get like the same kind of thing in, in Child of God, where you'll have this character who is a um, He's a necrophiliac murderer living in isolation in a cave, and he'll just goddamn. He'll he'll he'll, It's not as it's dark subject matter, but it's written in like a warm way. (laughs) It's written in like a compassionate way. Okay, interesting. You know, it's it's the same. It's similar to that was a Cooper. Yeah, Yeah. no, 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 Cooper is that's a sluts. Sluts. I'll tell you about the sluts. I I can remember these anyway because they recorded. So, (laughs) so the thing is with uh, Child of God, it's it's written. Homer McCarthy. yeah, excuse me, McCar- McCarthy's Child of God is like, um, it's written in, in like a warm way that, that's that's not trying to, to fool you. Okay. It's not trying to fool you, so you can pretty much account. And you'll have moments, as this happens in As I Lay Dying, yeah. where you'll have a periphery character, or even someone from town. Yeah. It's almost like a documentary where, huh. you know, you're, follow- you're following the characters and all right. of a sudden it just cuts right. to some yokel sitting on a porch. Okay. Oh, yeah, I knew, yeah. I knew the Burden family there, you know, and, then, yeah. and they'll tell you why, how they're fools and yeah. they're fucked up. Well, the yeah. same thing happens with Child of God where it'll just be like, I, I saw that coming, I, right. I knew, you know, and they'll, they'll tell you an anecdote. Just a dude talking. That is just more like documentary. Talk. It's almost like a, like a non-fiction thing yeah. where you got a person talking about a thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that was really one of the things that makes that, makes that book so great, where uh, both, those, both those books share that, that similarity. Yeah. Now, you have something that happens with, um, with, with, with the sluts where it is uh, multiple narrators completely unreliable yeah and each successive narrator kind of makes a does an erasure on, on everything that you've read from do you you'll read this whole thing okay. you'd be, like, be like oh holy fuck this is insane okay and then it, it switches to the next it's all yeah. on a message board it's all oh. a message board for like snuff sex oh uh, wow community oh wow so then you'll you'll get to the next yeah the next post and that post 
kind of is like, oh, by the way, that guy, he's just fucking he's lying. Like, uh, and this is why, I, this is the proof that you should know. Okay. This, this person he's writing about doesn't even exist. That's me. I had a fake post, and it just keeps doing that, where Whoa. it's like this cumulative, like, yeah. like dizzying. But it's also written in, like, uh, the, Coop, the Cooper novel, uh, The Sluts, is written in, like, almost... A, a trickster kind of way like like Nabokov yeah. would do like yeah. a pale fire kind of thing sure, sure. where you'll, you'll read it and and you know these things are revealed to you a new card is flipped and you right. say ah there we go okay. I, they were that whole thing that, that I was I was considering reality just got flipped on its head Right. but it's not done at least I felt this way in like a nefarious way where you're right. like ah oh, fuck you like you right. wasted my time Right. it's like such a such a, a great reveal where yeah. it's like reality just kind of keeps molding away and um, so I thought that was really cool how those two books did that. Uh, one of the other things I really liked about reading Faulkner was uh, reading uh, Virginia Woolf for the first time. Oh, what'd you read? I read Mrs. Dalloway. Okay, cool. Because, you know, so I was reading Ulysses, and Mrs. Dalloway uh, takes place on one day also. Right. And it's like a, Same. It's like a, her, her commentary on... On what James Joyce was doing in Ulysses, she thought she could do a better job. Yeah, and I kind of think maybe she did do a better job. Yeah, she, yeah. she's just going to get the flowers instead of yeah, wilding out and having a million rambly scenes in the middle. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's like, you know, she, she's she's on another another journey, another quest yeah. in that book. But um, I just thought something with Mrs. Dalloway, uh, I I felt like as as comfortable and happy with the characters as I did in Ulysses, but I, I just thought maybe she did a little better of a job with that novel, because she has she has a style of writing not partic- not stream of consciousness really, more right. like, you know, stream of thought right, you know, inner, inner thought inner, right. inner monologue, where it's like more controlled, yeah. and you know, we, we kind of bounce around between characters, and, and we follow like the stream of thought where Ulysses yeah. is just like, a lot of times it's just like a, a a, 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 like the faucet is up a hundred, hundred and yeah. just full, you yeah. know. And you can't. Sometimes you can't follow along, or or you you lose track. And sometimes that's great, yeah, just to get lost in a yeah. book. But James Joyce would do this thing where he's just not your friend, you know. Where he would, <laughs> it, it would change, yeah, uh, yeah, it would yeah, change yeah. The, the the next chapter. All of a sudden, you're right. reading like a parody right. of something that was happening in literature in the early 1900s in right. Ireland, or right. he's just like. Like some newspaper shit. Yeah, making people are fun just... of this book that's lost to, to right. time where you're like, I don't know what the fuck he's making fun of. I don't know what he's parodying. So you have to like, yeah. do detective work, which is fine sometimes. But the thing with um, getting out, getting into reading the modernists, you know, Faulkner. Yeah, you're kind of going in right now. It sounds Wolf like. and James Joyce. Uh, reading Faulkner uh, was great because, you know, he actually, in my mind, um, two things happened with As I Lay Dying with. Just as Mrs. Dalloway was her com- her commentary on Ulysses, right? Uh, I feel like as they dying is Faulkner doing Ulysses totally, too. Totally, totally. I mean, and sound, the beginning, the first few parts of Sound and the Fury felt like that too, isn't it? Yeah, I think he's just totally just picking up the football and trying to run farther with it, you know. Um, and I don't know if he succeeds. I'm not. I'm not arguing that uh, that this is a better book than Ulysses. I just happen to like it more. No, you know. What yeah. I mean? Well, I feel like. The thing that felt, that for me felt different, well, like, cause I read all that Joy stuff, like, when I was in college and stuff, but I never read Faulkner, um, but it felt like the, there was a purpose for all the, the wild stuff he was doing. Yeah. Where suddenly it's like italics and people are saying wild shit. Mm-hmm. And it felt like the purpose of that was 
him my whole reading it was like him dealing with like uh like these past like traumas he can't he can't talk about or whatever yeah and then that's when the character um kind of spazzes out um it was interesting because I, I I grew I grew up with a, a, a woman with like pretty severe cerebral palsy, uh-huh. like from fifth grade on. So yeah. that was my angle to go in the Sound and the Fury with like yeah, the yeah. Benji part, uh-huh. and then, um, um, but I don't know. Did you did you feel like that with the with the the trauma the trauma? St- like I don't know. Like okay. Well, yeah, the the part that was most big for this this book was like the whole Addie part. Did, yeah. that, did that part hit you a lot, or yeah? And all of a sudden she speaks. She's talking and she's going in about all the stuff about words and stuff. Yeah, it's like it's like how at the end of the Ulysses you get you get Molly. And totally, speaks. totally. So I feel like he did that in here, but it's more much more. Maybe the maybe the end of the Ulysses with Molly is like you know regarded as one of the most beautiful things I've ever written in English. Right. But I think the Addie. Yeah, that stuff is more impactful. Uh, okay, the way the reason why this tied in, I'm gonna try to not ramble for too long. But the reason why this tied into what I was thinking was because I feel like all the stuff Faulkner. So there's like a, a lot of like uh, heady like linguistic stuff in what she's saying. Yeah, like she's talking about how like um, like people don't know, like people say they know a thing, uh, or like kind of like words. Words are never enough. Yeah, that's kind of what I felt like she was saying. And then it feels like Faulkner's whole project is like. Um, um, like, did you, did you, okay, I'm gonna try to get, I'm gonna sit, go in a little bit, but if you don't want to follow this rap, it's okay, but do you ever, like, mess with, like, like, Wittgenstein or those kind of ideas? No, what's that? Okay. He's that, he's that, he, I mean, I feel like he influenced all the modernist dudes where uh-huh. he's basically saying, like, um, like, uh, with the inadequacy of language. Yeah. Like, we call a thing, like, we call, we say table. Everyone yeah, thinks, yeah. like, table. But there's, like, mad different kinds of tables. Sure. Or you say leaf. Yeah. People think leaf. But there's mad, uh, every individual leaf is, is unique, you know? Yeah. So then he goes, like, everything that you can say, you can say with words. Mm-hmm. But there are some things that you can't say. You can't say, yeah. Like, a deep, a tra- a, the, witnessing the sublime, some yeah. trauma you went through. And about those things... You have to remain silent. There's no you can't yeah. you can't say them. You can't say them. It's so almost then, like you know when you're on when you're on the when you're on the internet and you're, you're scrolling through and you see like the oh the German word for you know a feeling you can't express right, about right. you know shit in your pants is the, is you know El Krappenstein or whatever. It's like perfect like, example. Your Japanese are all kinds of words like that. Yeah, like we're like Americans or you know the, the Europeans are feel like they're just much more repressed and they're like well. We can't we can't define a way to say that, so we're right. just gonna not even try. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like the, maybe the Japanese, and yeah, they're, they're like searching a little more. They're yeah, on a bigger quest. All kinds of nuanced things. Yeah, um, yeah. but um, <laughs> but it felt to me that like all these modernist guys are trying to say. The thing that you can't, the things that you can't say. Yeah, they are. They are right? trying to do that. And I feel like, um, you know, re- reading for the first time the modernists for me, I, I was, I was basically, um, I think the deepest I had read in like high school was like the deepest we probably got was like Hemingway or something. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. We read it and it's kind of like just a bare bones, like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna say the table is brown and right. the table is brown. Totally, and, and totally. And then reading from there was just like get out of high school, and I didn't go didn't go away to college, um, so it was just 
reading some of the best contemporary books I could find by recommendation. Or you, you know, you buy one book right. and the algorithm yeah. recommends this to your car, you, you know, so yeah. it just leads you down the path. So I never had really experienced this kind of reading, which I feel like, uh, especially with um, writers from the USA, they they just abandoned this this whole thing. Right. Pe- people haven't been on this like quest. The whole, the whole modernist thing. They, yeah. Yeah. If, I mean, obviously the modernist, postmodernist, right. contemporary writers, but this this style of writing has just been like abandoned. Totally. Like, there's no uh, no trying to dig deeper into the consciousness of of what's what. Right. You know? Now we're just kind of like what I what I kind of found with um, as I lay dying, written in 1930. I feel like Steinbeck just read this book and was like, okay, I'm going to take this football yeah. and I'm, I'm going to try to run farther with it. Yeah. He ran he ran backwards with it, with The Grapes of Wrath, which okay. I feel like is a book that's like an amazing book, but it's just taking like philosophy and and, and thoughts about time and, and, and just free-floating consciousness and it has just like grounded it. Okay. It's grounded it into a style that was so successful that ever since after that, you know, that that's been American literature, it's, and you, it's and, been it's been the, yeah. it's been almost frozen since 1939 in like the Grapes of Wrath. Okay, when you're reading this, you feel like you you you're looking at a historical document that's interesting, or are you going like, oh, this is like, like you feel like you're taking anything from it, or I'm just take I'm taking As I Lay Dying and The Sound and Fury as if they're written today. Okay, by someone. Uh, if Scott McClanahan, yeah, well, I get the same feeling from a Scott McClanahan book as, as a Faulkner book. Like, that's, that's I'm just amazing. I'm just feeling like this book could have been published last week, and I would have read it, and I would have been a, fa- a fan of this writer, and I would have been excited yeah. about what they're going to do next. You're not even making big major distinctions between them. I'm not. No, okay, and it's not even because like uh, uh, McClanahan is writing about you know a family in, in, yeah. in the south or I just feel like there's like a I love the McClanahan that I there, there's like a, an energy to it yeah cause that's another thing he's also doing a vernacular speech really good yeah, too yeah. yeah he is that's the thing and people sleep on about the that's not you can't do it anymore why you not can't, you can't do too much of the vernacular stuff just because it's kind of been it's almost been just like labeled like a hack move but you you, you talk you write how you talk yeah I, I read a little bit how I talk but I'm saying like Sometimes, you know, you'll read, you'll read this, like, if you read, um, you know, Huckleberry Finn or whatever, you know. Okay. It, it's, things aren't written that way anymore. It's just been, it's like a hack move. Okay, if you get into, like, weird stuff. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. you, I feel you. Like, yeah. especially the dialogue. Totally, that, so totally, like, totally. And that stuff really works, though. You yeah. Know? It really works, but it's just not done anymore. And that's just one of those things I feel like maybe it, it's been done untastefully so much that that's, people, that's are, people are just like, well, we're not going to do that anymore. Right. Okay? We're not going to talk in a, a vernacular. We're not going to talk in in someone's. Um, That's kind of how my shit. In someone's broken speech as much. Yeah, yeah. You know? But but like in a way, what I'm kind of driving at is uh, some of the things from these books. This book written in 1930, as a late there there's a lot of some things in these books that aren't really done anymore. Right. Which I feel like not doing them anymore is kind of like a disservice. You feel like you could do some stuff like that to more. popular to, pop, to popular literature. What yeah. parts of it are you, got you excited? That you feel well, like isn't done before. Well, I mean, there's there's things there's things with the way the characters talk, which I think is great. Fuck yeah, that's a big thing. I I yeah, fucked with that's too. It's a big thing too, with like the way the characters talk, and uh, I like I like how it just moves. It doesn't hold your hand through. You know, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to get confused a little bit or not yeah. totally understand what's happening because some characters because we jump through um, we jump through all these different narrators. We got fifteen narrators and yep. just. 
even with like the family members uh, who are our main narrators, you got Addie, the mom, yep. aunt's the father, Cash, the oldest son, the carpenter, yep. Darl, he's the middle brother, yeah, um, he's the most intelligent one yeah. in the book. And we got Jewel, uh, yep. third son, and, la- and, and later on in the book, it's revealed that he's the actually illegitimate son of the preacher, like a different dad, yeah, different dad. Then you got Zoe Dell, um, who's just she's a character like so much want and hurt and dreams. And then you have Vardaman. Who's the youngest, yep. and his mother's a fish. He's, he's a dreaming child. Um, but as 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 we follow through, you know, some of these characters aren't as good at telling you what's happening. Right. So you read, especially you know, obviously Vardaman. He's you'll, you'll yeah. read his. He's trying to tell you. He's trying yeah. to he's trying to point the camera at yeah. what's happening, but yeah. he doesn't have the capacity yeah. to relay this information. Right. Yeah. So a lot of times you'll get something like Vardaman trying to describe. The wagon trying to go through the floodwaters and right. and the thing tipping over and what, but you can't yeah. quite figure out what the fuck happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, his, his mom's a fish because the coffin got swept away down right. the river. You know, right. but you can't really understand like what like what is happening. <laughs> and so we come back again and like maybe Jewel. Now Jewel tells you the yeah. he gives you the scene and you can kind of kind of understand it when Jewel explains. Right. It's a little easier to follow. Right. And then the the one two three punch you finally. You finally, a lot of times, get complete clarification from someone like Darl. Totally. Where Darl's just like, okay, and then it finally all comes together, and you're yeah. like, ah, because they're giving it, you different angles, different angles, but it, but also no one's ever, no one's ever fucking with you, right? And just you know, telling you a straight up lie <laughs> to make their family members. Sometimes you know, a lot of times, a, a book with multiple narrators, especially a family, right. You know, we deal with this with all this stuff with the sibling rivalry, right, and, right, right. and that's in this book. But right. it's never done in a way that feels like these people genuinely hate each other right. to the point where they'll they'll sabotage each other. Yeah, they all have their backs in a way. I mean, Anne's could get cashed to the doctor a little quicker when he when his well, he got a concrete cast. Anne's is a fucking fool. Anne's is Anne's is is just. Uh, yeah, he's a fool. He's just trying to get the that new that new grill. Yeah, trying to get those new to get teeth. He's not really thinking about anything else. So, but you you got you have a lot of parts like that in this book where you'll just have like a clarity that kind of comes through, and you have to trust. You, you learn to trust Faulkner. He's he's gonna he's not gonna leave you hanging. Yeah. Which sometimes I'll read a book and and I'm like, man, I I, I really need to. It's like watching watching prestige TV. You know, watching like. Um, Trying to get like a good example of like a pres- prestige HBO TV show or like like a Westworld or something right. where you're kind of like I don't really know what the fuck's going on and I don't yeah. really trust the show yeah. Yeah. to get to actually that's have a to- good example. Then they do some reveal and the whole thing was a some that's what happened at the end of Westworld the first season. They, that's why I stopped watching yeah, it. I stopped watching it too yeah. because they are. They're just trying to they're, they're trying to sh- give you shock value yeah. and make you. Be like, oh wow, the whole thing was a dream. Yeah, let's keep that, going. That that's what it feels yeah, like yeah. With, with that that kind of storytelling. Where, you know, uh, after the Wizard of Oz came out, right. and it was all a dream. That's done. You it's can't done. do that shit anymore. Yeah, right? <laughs> let the dream. That's Dorothy's dream. That's fucking done. Yeah. But now you watch a show like like Westworld, where it's poor storytelling, where it's not right. where it's not developed enough, and and you'll you'll be sent to to the Reddit message boards right. to try to dig through. What the fuck's happening totally. with these characters? Fan theories, right? Reading this thread and this thread, trying to piece these things together. But when you when you get close to the source of a real storyteller like a Faulkner, right? You know, right away uh, you might be in the dark, but you can trust this guy to 
Yeah. You can trust this guy to, to bring it all home for you. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, I, I think that's interesting that you like that aspect of um, just quickly going into a thing without explaining it. Yeah. Because to continue on that idea I was saying about what the, I felt like the modern, how I was conceptualizing how the modern is trying to do it. Like they trying to go towards, trying to say those things you can't say. Uh-huh. And I feel like when I was like an undergrad, I was reading a lot of like modern stuff and I was like that 20 year old kid. I was like trying to emulate it, yeah. you know? And after a while, I was like, this is leading, like, this is leading you further away. Like, I misinterpreted that whole, that whole idea, the Wittgenstein thing. Yeah. I thought, oh, then we got to try to get closer to say that. Un-. No, he's saying you can't say that stuff, but there still are things you can't say. Everything you can say. We yeah. talk to each other. I'm talking to you right now. You Like, whatever. So just write how you talk. Yeah. And that's how, when I read your stuff, when I read, like, fucking Sam Pink or McClanahan, all those guys, whatever, a lot of more stuff, I feel like that's... And then capture the unique way that you talk. But then when I was reading this, I felt like there are certain things that, like literally the things you can't say, the things that are difficult, not, not in a linguistic terms, like yeah. literally like the traumatic thing. You can, yeah. Sometimes that requires, it's more satisfying to just kind of like free associate a little more. Yeah, I don't know. Right. That's the thing I took yeah. from that. It is. I think, I think what happens between 1930 when this book, you know, Ulysses, Virginia Woolf, uh, what ha- what happens is these these characters and introducing like a stream of consciousness, a stream yeah. of thought. It just it just wears down literature where you eventually just get first person diaristic accounts right. of what's going on. So you you'll read a novel where it's like you just discovered someone's diary. Right. And you talking about today? So, yeah. I mean, yeah. Even looking back. Okay. Uh, you know, if, if you even just look back to like. Like, let's say, like, Lolita is sure. another example of, like, or, like, Giovanni's Room by Baldwin yeah. is another example. Giovanni's Room could just be, like, a, you just find a notebook laying somewhere and you yeah. open it up, and it, it'll be the best diary you've ever found in your life. And you like that. I love it. Yeah, okay, I that's what it. I thought you were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the best books ever written. And, that, that, and that's the, that's the mode you, that's the mode you want to read, right? Someone yeah. just first person telling you about their shit. But back in 1930, right. um... You, you had like it feels like there was still the distinction between people would read let's say like a memoir right you know a memoir is your you know your found lost diary you know? right but a lot of uh, a lot of the literature there you're still stuck in third person or or you're stuck in first person but it's not as close right you know, everything's not really re- revealed right. as if you were um, sending someone an email or right. Text, right. texting your right. friends right. right I feel like that's where we are now with literature. Where like when I when I read a really great a really great contemporary novel, um, uh, it's it's direct from the source, totally. direct shipped from the source. I'm like a main line to this author. That's what know? that's what I said. Now or I thought like re-edit that story, but just texting it to your friend. Yeah, but like a lot of times, <laughs> I, I used to have I used to run a literary magazine where you know I would uh, I would read a lot of submissions or whatever, and sometimes I would still need more stuff or. Or I was just looking for that great thing, you know. Right. And I would have a friend, a good writer, yeah. sometimes, and I would say, "Hey, you know that that you know you get drunk enough with people at a party, yeah. going going out, and you just hear these stories again and again and again." Yeah. And I'm like, "Hey, listen, why don't you write down that story that happened to you? Because I think it's fucking amazing. I think people would want to read that. I, I would want to read that. I write that down. Yeah. And then and then I'll get I'll get the thing yeah. from a friend." Um, this happened a few times where I'll get the thing and it's like and something happened to you when it went from oh. oral 
speaking. Yeah. You know, embellishing, yeah. speaking, you know, to, to writing it down and it's yeah. formalized and, and distilled in a negative way. Right. Uh, something, something's happened to this, the, the, the beauty and, the, and the, the rawness of your storytelling. Interesting. Which I think there's usually a distinction between um, contemporary writers who, who, who have that, uh, that power. The know? voice. They can just, their voice. They yeah. can just write, they can just sit down yeah. at, the, at, the, at, the, at their laptop and write exactly how, they're, how they would orally tell us. Right, story, you know? right. And, and then there's writers who just can't do that. So sometimes, right. I had a, this happen a few times, where I would then get that story and I would read it and I would be like, oh man, there's just something really missing from this. So I took a, I took a recorder yeah. to my friend's house, yeah. had a couple drinks, whatever, and I put the machine on the table and said, tell me that story. Tell me that story again, you know? And my, my, this happened with my friend Chuck Howe. And he would start telling this, this this anecdote again to me as if for the first time. And yeah. then I take that, that recording and I typed it up. Fucking, let's go, dude. I typed that okay. shit up. And I, I, I told him, I said, hey, listen, I typed that up. Yeah. I want you to look at this thing and tell me what the difference is between the very, well, you sent me in this. Yeah. You know? I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to know as a writer, as an artist, like the difference between... Yeah. What you did with this, like the disconnect right. between your heart and your feelings, yeah. between what you would look me in the eye and say. Right. And I think some of the greatest artists, that's that is that is their power. They, a million miles away from you, isolated in their room, they're sitting at their laptop, their typewriter, writing with a pen, yeah. but they're not isolated. They're looking you directly in your eye, in, yeah. into your soul, if you believe you have a soul. Yeah. And and they're confronting you face to face. Yeah. And that's the power of. of great artist between someone who's just uh, writing doing an exercise exercise don't do an exercise think about that person you want to tell it to and tell it to them that's so fun that's so funny yeah when I was uh, right after college I tried to um, I tried to walk uh, I was well, I tried to walk uh, across country uh -huh. but um, but I didn't I, I didn't make it I, I, I ran out of theme in like Colorado mm -hmm. but for the first 50 days I was trying to do that I was just telling what happened yesterday into my voice recorder because yeah. I was trying to get into that type of uh, that type of voice yeah. I was just not because you know you read a travel memoir people yeah. are like 80 and they're looking back and they're like oh it was so great we fuck you know yeah, I, yeah. I got a baked beans and we uh -huh. fired up on the thing but I was trying to just be like this is what happened yeah, yesterday, yeah, yeah. but then it turned into kind of a mess. But that was a fun. Pro but I feel like that 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 baseline feeling is something I, I really feel a lot. Yeah, it's just a feeling, and, and, and all art doesn't need to be that way. This is just one way, right? And I'm just responding to uh, one this one way of a million ways of looking at things. I, I read I read some books and uh, just be completely knocked over, and uh, it's not. It's not anything I would I would try to write or try to emulate or different modes of thought. And, right. And I'm always I just I do what I do and I'm I'm trying to get better at it. But I like how you're indiscriminate with what you're reading and whatnot because that feels like a really central to like a lot of the tyrant books that I like. You know, is that kind of voice? But then these this, like these the fact you're reading all these like wow modern it's like interesting. I don't know. I'm kind of uh, on that too where I'm looking back at different stuff right now, and it's like. Um, I think I'm just at the point now, like, you know, you're saying you're going through the second time in your project and you're adding stuff where it yeah, needs yeah. it. I think I was so adamantly trying to do this voice, writing with line breaks and doing this voice, and I'm like through it. But then there are certain parts where uh, I want the text to be mixed up a little bit and go into different, like, yeah. I, you know? So yeah. that's why I'm trying to see other stuff. Yeah, it's important to read, to read uh, widely, different people than yourself, especially different uh, levels of economic freedoms, oppression. One of the easiest shortcuts 
to doing that and reading really great, great books. The, yeah. Some of the best books ever written. There's just the things that New York Review of Books put out. Totally. I mean, if you read those New York... Maybe there's... I don't know how many they I published. read uh, the Alvaro Mutis one last year. Yeah. It, yeah, it's sick. Uh, yeah, I haven't read that one, but, you know... That's a good one. Of all the, like, probably read about 40 of them, and it's just one of those things where I'm, when I'm in a, like a, a funk and I'm just reading too many... Yeah. Books that feel like phoned in. Yeah. You know, a lot of times that happens where I'm reading a book that's like maybe I could just tell that it was edited or created in a certain way. Yeah. Where, where I'm like, God, this is fucking lame. <laughs> this is a lame book. And, and it's lame. And the people, and the person who wrote it knew it was lame. And the editors knew it was lame too. But they also knew lame, uh, making something lame might help it in the marketplace because people read it. So there's a certain majority. They might they might read those kind of books. So this is a lame book, marketed to lame people, and then it wins a fucking national book award. That's a lame ass award. But you know? dude, that's that's why Faulkner is in a different category than all those other modernists. I feel like is because the life that he came, from, the world that he came from, was different. He was yeah. using the same tools, but he wasn't like scrolling around. Like he had a different life than James Joyce. He was. You know, like yeah, growing yeah, up with yeah, the people yeah. we grew up with, like yeah, that's important. The life yeah. part is almost primary for me. I feel like you know what you're doing. The form. If you don't have, if you didn't do any, if you're not living any, if you're not doing anything, I don't know. Is that is that a little? No, no. I don't, you think see, about the that. Thing, the thing with like, uh, first of all, I just want to say, you know, Faulkner's not like my. I don't consider myself like a disciple of his oh, writing, sure. or like I'm not like I don't think this guy is like top of the mountain or anything. He's just yeah. a, a good writer and like a sea of. Good writers, you know. You. The thing with like Faulkner uh, is he was a mailman and like a town gossip. Yeah. So he's one of these guys <laughs> that he got around and just gossiped about. And, oh, okay. And, and the gossips, the, the artists who were like gossips and and, and talking to anybody and yeah. picking people's brains and just trying to take a little snippet of this person's life yeah. and, and just cobbling it all together into their stories, they're the ones that uh, that give us more of society because yeah. we're, you know. He's letting us in on little secrets. And then this whole book is like a slow reveal of little secrets. And, right. And of course, like The Sound and the Fury is that to a, that to a fault also. Yeah. And, and you kind of, you, you can kind of depend on a guy like uh, William Faulkner because he's just like a, a consummate. Well, he's out here listening. He's out here talking he's to people. He's out here listening. Yeah. That's yeah. important. He's not like, uh, you know, you get like. You're not cooped up. Like You're not cooped up. Like, for instance, like when I read uh, Madame Bovary, uh, and, you know, great. The book was great. You know, you know that um, it's it's like an obsessive, beautifully written book where he could just go on. He could go on for like three paragraphs about how beautiful a tree is right, on the side right, of the river, right. and you're like, wow, this is like some of the most beautiful like nature writing I've ever read. Or like right. Willa, Willa Cather's like that in a way too, like My Antonia. Yeah. Like you read that stuff, it's so like pastoral and like lush and beautiful. It's like yeah. nature. Nature is almost as important as the right. characters. Right. But I feel like then you get a person like Faulkner, yeah. where he's like, the world doesn't matter. Like yeah. the landscapes, uh, yeah. who cares? Yeah. The the ground. He, most he gives you in this book really is dust. You get, yeah. you get a bunch of dust. Dirt. You know? Dust. Where like a, some other writer might have given you. This book plus a hundred pages describing what the sunsets and sunrises look like. Right, right. You know things like that. We'll get a little of that in here, but he's he's uh, obsessed with the characters. Yeah. He's character driven, and also character driven. But the the style of the writing in this novel is written uh, as if it's a thriller. Right. You know, so it's actually a book. It's an action. It's yeah. An act. This is just straight action, 
And the reason why it's such like a, a propulsive read is because you'll read like three pages from this character, and then all of a sudden a white space, yeah. and it jumps to more white space, yeah. and then the next. I like the white space. Yeah, you know, I almost think like, it's almost like a shot like an arrow. It's almost it. like a travel story. If you think about it, well, they just on that mission to get to. Well, all it is is it's it's another, it's another Odysseus traveling exactly. home to his wife. Right. Just so happens that the wife was the dead mother in, yeah. in this book, and you're just you're on this epic journey, and you're traveling yeah. through the floods, to the fire. Right. And, and you know, bury your mother at the end. I like that idea, like what you're calling conversation with. It almost feels like Joyce is in conversation with a bunch of other books. Oh yeah. Faulkner's you got people who are conversation with the nature. And then he Faulkner's kind of more in conversation with like the people, the, the voices. Well, another thing with this, this book too. It's dangerous well, to get in conversation just with books. Well, it is. Like right now I'm reading uh, Ada by Nabokov. I'm reading oh, it with my friend I read Casey. That one. It's really good. But it's uh it's written as a parody of the history of the novel, so oh. you'll you'll get you'll get a lot of he's you know in this book he's a little friendlier than usual with it okay though, you know so he's he's fucking with you but it's like you're kind of in on the joke okay. in this book you're yeah. at an arm's length like in Pellfire I feel like you're yeah. a little bit at arm's length but in Ada you know as as you're reading all of a sudden you'll get to like. And there's there's big discrepancies with reality in this book because it's the narrator. One of the main narrators is a 90 year old man who's completely mixing up fact from fiction. Oh. And his recollections of things are wrong and kind of questioned. Wow. And also, like he will have all of a sudden, like one of the maids from his youth. Yeah. Um, she writes the, the famous short story, uh, the necklace. Uh, which I can't remember the, the author. He's a French a Frenchman named Guy Dupont or something. Okay. And he has the maid write that short story in, in Ada. Oh. And the maid even comments, maybe she'll write it under a pseudonym. Oh. And then a little later on, it's revealed that the maid's pseudonym is Guy Dupont. Oh. So he's just completely fucking with reality yeah. in that way. But that's a real story. But he's pretending in real life. But that he's pretending that... The, or he's saying that the maid... Like the maid could have fucking... The, he's, wrote it. he's playing with it, but playing. It's, it's mostly like you're just kind of dealing with a narrator's breakdown of gotcha. reality and memory. Yeah. It's like fucking with that whole Proust thing. Where right, right, like right. To remember every, everything you remember, you remember wrong. Right, it's degrading, right. but right. it's also yeah. memory is always is always fa- fallible or fallible. Yeah, but um, we're almost like you know a, re- a revisionist uh, look at things. Like you had, um, I mean, I just watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Which is like, you know, the Quentin Tarantino thing. Where right. He'll just, yeah. just be like, oh, what if it happened like this? Oh. Well, he's kind of fucking with that a little bit. But, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll have you'll have Faulkner, you'll have Faulkner mess around a little bit with that, but, but not too much. He's pretty much just sticking to like what, what is real and, and, and what's, what's not. Did you feel like he was getting into stuff about, um... I mean, it's like we always just read, especially with the book that moves around, because we feel like we read um, whatever we're bringing to it, whatever our paths. We, we interpret, we, you know? But of course. Did you feel like there was a, between the whole Addie part and the fact that, like, she was talking about in the Addie, in the Addie section, she was kind of talking about how, like, um, like her connection kind of, like, had this love, this kind of almost hatred towards her kids, sort yeah. of, and was wanting to beat them because, like, took her blood to bring them into the world but then now she they, failed they failed her yeah yeah and then but then at the end Dewey gets the uh, gets the abortion yeah. right so and then obviously in um, Sound and the Fury 
Quentin as you know this kind of this whole thing with the sister and and it could have been a you know an incest thing and yeah I feel like do you feel like Faulkner's concerned with sort of like the violence of uh, of I don't know like sex and birth and mother you know I yeah. don't know you feel like do you feel that I do yeah I also feel like Faulkner he um He's he's kind of like telling the truth about white people in a lot of ways. That, you know, the the problem is in the blood. You know, there's like right. the problems. I, I don't know how much he's actually speaking about the South. He gets accused of speaking about the South a lot, but he's just like, here's a book about a bunch of fools who 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 come from you know isolation, isolated ignorance, and and here they are journeying into the real world, right. and here they are fucking up in real time, right. you know. Co- commented on people on porches as they go by. What's up with that guy with the concrete cast? Right, and just dude. stupid shit like that, where you're yeah. like, you know, we're not idolizing these these people. Who, they're too isolated. Yeah, they're too isolated. They they have no. They haven't been exposed to people beyond their family hardly. Pulling up to the town with the rotting corpse. Yes, yeah, exactly. Where it's even like to me, where it's like the thing with Louis Dell, and and we, we talk about uh, she might be pregnant with with this farmer. Right. Uh, uh, maybe not, you know. Yeah. Maybe she could be pregnant with with one of her brother's babies. Yeah. You don't really totally know. You right. don't really know, and not to uh, you know, not to dwell on the, the tropes of like writing about the South and incest and right. all that. But it's one of those things where it's like, here's a book where like there's love and compassion for these characters, but we're reading about a bunch of fools. Yeah. One of the things I think the Faulkner thing that I, I, I like is you know. I read that he uh, he would reread the Don Quixote every year. Nice. Which I think is just uh, is just great because I just read Don Quixote in like April and May. Fuck yeah, dude. I read it last year too. Yeah, it's one of these books where it's just like this another epic Odyssey journey. Yeah. With a bunch of dummies. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it's compassionate to a, to one of the most beautiful books I've ever written. It's just so compassionate with with its its dealings of. Uh, of, of these characters, I feel like you know we're we're just we're doing that with this family. Yeah, nobody's the butt of a joke. Uh, even like the things that should be funny are like really tragic. Like, like you know, we we see uh, ants again and again make these kind of decisions that goes against the good of the whole family. Yeah, <laughs> for this this fool this fool's errand of of taking taking the, the mother to to where she wanted to be buried. Uh, he's hold, he's helped her. He's helped his word though, which is admirable. You know, yeah. even though he's he's kind of a scumbag and holding his family to this word. Um, you know, they go on this journey where it's like, I feel like it. It reminds me of. It reminds me of this book by Charles Portis called Norwood, which Norwood is a marine who he's, he fights in the Korean War, and then he comes back to his family in Alabama, and he just doesn't want to deal with them. They're just uh, mm. pains and pains in the ass. So he like comes up with this self-imposed fool's errand of going across the country on a bus to track down seventy bucks that's owed to him by like a, a marine buddy. And it's just like, and he has a kid. He doesn't have. He doesn't oh, have a kid. Oh, he, he comes back. He just comes back, but he's he's just like getting away. He's yeah, just getting, he's getting away from everybody and everything and going on this run. Yeah, where you have like you know it's almost like uh, Addie. She's. She's finally escaped this family, 
she's finally gotten away from from her kids that that maybe drive her crazy and her husband who drove her crazy and and, right. and, and she had, she had to find she had to find attempted to find real love with the you know the minister the pastor and uh and that didn't really work out for her either so you can almost yeah. like celebrate her like oh good one person who made out great made in the story out. was the woman who's dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she she made out like a bandit by being dead. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting too. All these, the reason why I've, I've been reading a bunch of 1920s stuff where I read the first Hemingway. Actually, I haven't read any Hemingway. I read In Our Time. Yeah, in our stories. Time, yeah. But a lot of this stuff, I feel like the reason why people are going all crazy trying to write in all these wild ways to get past the regu- regular way we talk is yeah. I feel like it's right after World War One. Uh-huh. Yeah. And every, like think about it. Like talk yes. about an unspeakable experience, bro. Yeah. Like, pe- so many people got murked and it, we don't really have that now. Oh we don't. Or it's like you're you know, you're a person who doesn't, who doesn't have a lot of money, you're not from a wealthy family and all of a sudden you're going to fight World War One. You get yeah. sent on a ship, you go to Europe. Yeah. You meet all kinds of different people from all over the country. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. And it's just like all of a sudden, like the doors of the world just open to you. If you made it, yeah. If you, if you survived. If you made it, yeah. If, if you came well, obviously. Home, <laughs> like you have like a, a guy like Hemingway who was an early, uh, an early quote-unquote hero of the war. Right. Uh, injured very quickly. Right. And then he's just, he's out there writing after that with his, uh, with his, with his pension living in Paris and just, and just writing. But, um, yeah. Did you like? Did you read Cherry? Yeah, Cherry was great. Yeah. Yeah, Cherry was really great. Um, of course, he took it. Gian was big in that, right? He kind yeah, of got Gian, that thing He kind of edited yeah. it. Yeah, Gian edited that book. That shit was. Yeah, that book's really great. It reminds me of just like a lot of people I know. You know, yeah. not not the people I know, Robin Banks and stuff. But like, sure. I work with a lot of guys that, are, that they they talk to me to me the way Nico Walker writes that book. Right. I love uh, that was talk about yeah just that made me feel more like I get right how I talk yeah uh, and, and a lot of good with like I was just like oh like, I couldn't yeah but um yeah do you do you think uh you can or do you think about um do you think uh, you trying to you could not answer this question if you want to but do you think you trying to like uh, like have kids <laughs> nah I don't think we're having kids me and my wife uh, yeah. don't want to have any kids. Right. We're like, uh, yeah, join each other's company. Yes, yeah. my bad. That's too, that's too oh, personal. no, no, no. It's just because I feel like that somehow, like, there's such a I feel I feel such a sense of like violence of um, like child rearing from reading Faulkner, and uh-huh. I feel like he has like a hypersensitivity to it. That's like my reading, which is ironic because people often say that he goes way too gnarly into like sex stuff, but I feel like he kind of I don't know. And that's the thing I think about a lot. I'm like writing about a lot of just like the weird, some of the weird, uh, weird elements of, I don't know, inter, yeah, anyway. Yeah, the thing with, with like having kids, like right now, it's like, it feels like if you're not like really like possessed. Yeah. And to, to have a kid, you shouldn't have a kid. Yeah. Like, you know, the way the world is these days. For sure. Probably the way the world has always been. And yeah. <laughs> but it's like nice to say that now. Like, you know, the way the world is, you know, the world's always been the same, I think. But, um, <laughs> it's just I like, like <laughs> the way, now, now the way the world is, it's right, like, right, right. you know, spoken by every 38 year old man. We always, right here. Who's been 38 in the time he was 38. The way the world is now. <laughs> It's like I think having having children is probably the biggest blessing people can ever ever do. You know, if they yeah. if they really want to have a family. Yeah. 
And if you want to be a nerd and sit around and uh, read books and shit, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that you know, I think we might get a dog one day. Maybe. Oh yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's what's up. That's what's up. Yeah, yeah I'm not bad. I'm gonna go into that. So teenagers more is about like a te- te- your teen years. No, teenager is. Uh, I, I'm stoked for that, but I didn't read about it yet. Oh yeah, thanks, man. Teenager is. It's written. Teenager is written from the point of view of a character who is the star of the novel is 17. Okay. Uh, n- not at all based on me or oh. my life. Oh, sick. And it's it's I've written I've written a few novels that are just not autobiographical yeah. at all and just uh, uh, pretty much. Adventures into the wide world uh, in a direction I've never got to totally experience myself. Sweet. And this book is about a kid who's 17, and at the start of the novel, he's just come back from, he's been released from like a juvenile detention center. He got locked up because he, he got beaten down by his girlfriend's entire football team. Oh, and, then shit. He, and then he planned on blowing the high, their high school up with a bomb. Oh damn! And he got you know he got caught with it, but you know, he's so he was so inept with his building of this bomb that they were like, oh, this is this this, this guy's does not a, he was it wasn't a real thing. Right, right. He just takes some shit together. Yeah. He just, <laughs> <laughs> so they put him in a juvenile detention center, but while while he's in there, his girlfriend who's pregnant with his with his baby. Uh, his parents uh, were devout Catholics, but decided to leave the church and pressure her into getting an abortion. So when he, oh, yeah, wow. so when he comes out of the juvie, he's decided he's going to run away with her, and they're just they're just going to get away. Oh, but the book opens up in the first few pages of him. Did she get an abortion or no? She got the abortion. Oh, okay, of of him going to he's going to reason with the mother and father, oh. and just they're they're going to go they're going to go away and live their life. Um, become adults together and leave leave adolescents behind but he's gotten a letter from the father while he was still in the juvenile detention center uh, the girlfriend's father that he's got a gun if you if you ever bother my daughter again and you come on my property i'm going to shoot you and the police will be on my side you know so that's what the dad says or what he says that's what the dad says that's what the dad says so the book opens up first the first right there on page three or four or five whatever it is with the, uh, the protagonist of the novel, his name is Cody. He's up on the top of a water tower. And he's oh, looking snap. down at the house. And he sees his girlfriend on the lawn with the hula hoop. And he's watching for the parents to come home because he's going to go and confront them. And uh, after that, uh, he sees them come home. He comes down from the water tower and he goes into the house. And the father goes to reach in the, the gun safe. He's sitting at the kitchen table to shoot, to shoot the narrator. Yeah. But the gun's not in there anymore. Because the narrator of the novel has already broken exactly. into the house, taking the gun out. The the combination to the safe was his, his girlfriend's birthday. Goddamn. He kills the father, and the, <laughs> mother, the mother's screaming, and he kills the mother. And then him and his girlfriend go on the run. Bro, that's why you're trying to read these, the grotesque, the, the savage books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like, I feel like, uh, I feel like, yeah, you have to, you have to read everything, and you, you gotta pour your, pour your heart and soul into it. And uh, yeah, this is this book's got a little bit of brutality to it. It's also a fool's errand of a book, also, which I yeah. just feel really drawn to. For sure, bro. You know, so it's like a um, a pinball a pinball game through America. We got yeah. we got this, uh, this this couple on the run, um, avoiding the police, and just just trying to. Li- the, the book pretty much opens up almost with a quote that that just said, you know, the narrator's like. 
right, right after he's, he's killed the father and mother, he says, you know, I, I had considered all the consequences, jail, death, and hell, and yeah. I was fine with all of them. Uh, time with her was all I really cared about. Okay, so that's amazing. what the book is. It's just the clock ticking down. God damn. On their uh, on their time together. And it's dropping next year. Yeah, um, we've been me and Gian have been editing it for for a little bit, and uh, which is like a just a, the biggest blessing of my life. Working yeah. working with him, editing a book. He's just so great, intuitive, and you know, calm, collected. We're we're just going through rounds of edits, and, oh, yeah. and it just keeps getting. Better, better. That's amazing. You know, we're like, you know, I, I was really proud of the book, really proud of the book when I sent it to him, and uh, I've just grown more and more happy with with, uh, with where it's going. Fuck yeah! I got lucky, you know. I, I had a, I had a good opportunity. It slowed down really, really bad at my job, and uh, I got laid off for a couple months. It's like I was saying earlier. So yeah. I, yeah, that coincided like exactly with getting my getting edits back from one of the rounds of edits with Gio. But then I just had two months where I was like, all right, it's going to be my job now for two months just to like work on this book as if it was like a job I love going to. Totally. You know, Read, reading books, thinking about what my book is doing, trying to like broaden my understanding of storytelling and literature yeah. and what, what good editing is and just really just like trying to dig a little deeper but not force anything. Yeah. And that coincided perfectly too with, um, I had been in Los Angeles Hanging out with my friend Ben Laurie, uh, who's, oh, yeah. he's got to be one of the, the, the best living writers out there. And he writes these amazing short stories, yeah. like fables for adults. Yeah. And Ben was talking to me about this writing class he teaches out of his house, and just how great it's been for like his understanding of what storytelling yeah. is. And he kind of talked me into doing it, so I started doing that here in Jersey City, and my first. During that time I had off from my job, I was uh, I was teaching these classes so one one day one night a week, and uh, it's just it's been so helpful for me to like That's really start thinking scholarly about yeah. about how writing works and not in a stuffy way, like, sure. no rules, yeah, or, no rules really, but trying to dig deeper. So yeah. I'm always I'm just on this journey to try to to try to dig deeper, go a little crazier with what I'm doing, but yeah. but go crazier, but have like a point. Point to the madness of it. Yeah, you know. You feel that's because that's how yeah. being alive feels to me. It feels yeah. like I'm always like, man, you know. Even just watching the news, you know, you yeah. watch the news and you get like the shallowest explanation of why someone did something, and you're like, that's not what. That's not what. That's not what happened. You know. <laughs> and you have to read like ten different news stories before you finally get a, like a picture. It's like as I lay dying, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As I lay dying. Before you finally. Fox News is like Vardaman. No, it's well, yeah. Before you finally get. Before things finally come into focus, where you're right. like, now I understand because I saw this from enough angles. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, things change the way the approach is because in in work you got a line where you you say where you when you finally start writing stuff, you're like, I stop reading books all the time and just typing my stuff, right? Yeah. And I feel like there's a point in my process where I had that where I'm kind of like, all right, I, I gotta stop reading stuff. I gotta go in on this draft. But then at other times, right now, I feel like um, kind of more in that mode where I want to. I'm like looking for clues and other stuff to yeah and I, to, I to bring never, back to the camp. No, totally, I was know? never really one of those uh, one of those writers who would be like block it out. Yeah, yeah. Or, or who would be like be like, oh, I need to I need to research for the next year to oh, figure out how to do this. Oh, yeah, I want to yeah. jump jump into what I'm doing, oh, make a sure. mess. Yeah, continue to make a mess. 
yeah. like I was talking about earlier with that 45 day thing like if I'm like on this thing where I'm uh, like my next novel that I've been writing not with yeah. one I've been editing with Gian right. I'll just be you know I'll stop reading Yeah, I will stop reading you'll stop reading I will stop reading because I'm just I'm going to use all my allotted right. time in my day right. to make art to yeah. make my art yeah. and it's not so much because I think reading a book is going to fuck you up with what you're doing I don't find that to be true it's just time it's time, yeah. What yeah. I find is I only have so many hours in the day, and yeah. I, it's like if I don't do this, right. I'm never gonna do. This. You're not gonna do it. It's gonna pass. Yeah. And it's like with, uh, I can always, always find an excuse not to, not to be working on my shit. Right. And usually, it's the, the the biggest quicksand is oh I need to watch this film uh, and I need to like read about this film and I, oh, yeah. I need to read this book about this book about the thing. Uh, Where it just is like a never ending sinkhole. Yeah. And if you're just out there and jumping in it, you can, you can, you can make a mess. Yeah. You can always fix the mess later. Yeah. But that's the thing. You gotta, you gotta make the mess. You gotta make the mess. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, I've been going in. Um, awesome. I'm stoked for time. Of I've been going in for a minute. Um, yeah. I appreciate you. Linko and me and talking about stuff. Yeah. Feel like we, we went went in enough. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think yeah. people are gonna be like, Well, alright. <laughs> no, nah, people are be like, alright, this is uh, yeah, this is uh not that much about how to lay dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I wish uh, I could be laying dying. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I feel this as a as a, a 